I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk. Really thrilled to have everyone join us for this episode of Parent Talk. This podcast is devoted to a topic I think will be of great interest to all parents, and that is the stances or styles of parenting over time and in our time. We hope that during the session, uh, our listeners will come away with a sense of how approaches to parenting have changed over time and where they position themselves in their own style of parenting. A parenting stance comes into play from the moment that the baby is born. There'll be some parents who will never want to put their baby down and feel like putting their baby down is like not the right thing to do. Other people who are feeling baby needs to get used to sleeping in his or her own little crib or cot. Some people who will be responding to cries within seconds. Other people who will say, I think I need the baby to cry a bit and sort of figure it out themselves and let's see what happens. And I would say that I think parents are maybe surprised at what they're feeling from those first moments after their baby comes home. It's so powerful and so true, Susan, what you just said. We we might not think we have a stance. You know, stance sounds like a formal word. Uh, style sounds more familiar, but we really do have a stance. Everyone has some sort of frame reference that defines how they approach these very difficult challenges and even just normal day-to-day sort of uh, relationship to how they think about how their baby and they should be working together. So with that in mind, let's dig in. And I was like starting uh, thoughts with, you know, how, how our words came to be. And I was surprised to find out the word parent comes from the Latin word pariens, pariens, which you might hear in words like postpartum that have to do with delivery. What it means is to give birth. So parenting literally means to give birth. We talk about all these developmental phases of children, how much they change over time. In a certain sense, as your child changes, you as parents are continually giving birth to a new child, coming to a new person with a whole set of new needs. And so from that point of view, parenting is like rebirthing your relationship with your child, which I I find just to be such a powerful concept. Because every developmental stage is going to have different joys, but also different challenges. I just mentioned how different parents are going to respond to their infants. And even within the same parent, they're going to find that their responses may vary from from situation to situation. But I think that they're going to discover as their child moves into new developmental stages, they're going to get tremendous joy but also tremendous challenges, right, Arthur? They're going to face these universal struggles. How to use the potty, starting solid foods, sleeping through the night. I mean, the, the list is fairly endless. And if there's a sibling in the house or they're in, they're in a childcare, even discipline and how the child manages their body in different situations. How is that parent going to respond when they are faced with one challenge after another. And one theme that keeps coming up is this concept that parents provide the essentials when their children present them with the needs that you just put uh, forward so clearly. But it's the child who actually transforms. So as we talk about going through these transformations from newborn to infant to toddler to preschooler, school-age child to adolescent, it's the child who's transforming, but it's the parent who's providing the essentials to help them do that successfully. 
it's through the power of that loving relationship the parent continues to offer these essentials to the child in every step of their emergence. Now, no one can do this without some sort of perspective, some idea of what overall they're trying to accomplish. And that's what we mean by the stance of parenting. I love the idea that you talked about the child transforming, but in my experience, I've also seen adults transform as they've grown with their child. They've sometimes changed their stance or modify it somehow. I told you I've been going on social media a lot. And what do you think about the world around us? What impact do you think that has on a parenting stance that a parent will take? Well, I think one of the things we're going to talk about is that they're largely defined by social influences. And social influences predate the uh, advent of social media, but social media certainly heightened it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of us bristle at the notion that other folks determine how we see the world. We like to think especially when it comes to parenting, that we are approaching our children with our own individual perspectives. But something we've learned together, Susan, is that there are social trends that people can't help but falling into. It's not even that we fall into it. We are defined by social trends. Our narratives are largely built by the culture we live in. And as cultures shift, we shift. The idea of a parenting style is is not new. Why don't we talk about those a little bit, Arthur? The first one is called the authoritarian stance. So we're being a little careful in our wording here because one of the stances is called authoritative. That's when we'll rise up to, we think that's the highest level, but it sounds sort of like authoritarian, doesn't it? So I just want to say at the outset that authority is a major issue when it comes to parenting. Every parent has to settle on what they think authority means. Ultimately, we like the idea of authority representing credibility that comes out of mutual respect and yet a sense that you have something to offer. But in the authoritarian stance, the one we're going to start with, because historically that was the one that came first in our sequence, the authority rests entirely with the parent. We call it authoritarian because that stance sees the child's presentation of a problem as a challenge to the parent's authority. And the best response, therefore, is to impose a solution constructed by the parent on the child to make the point that the parent dictates what the child does. This stance was very popular in the 1950s. My wife and I just saw an old uh, sitcom, remember, uh, Make Room for Daddy, a Danny Thomas show. But you can see in all these shows, any shows from the 50s makes a big deal about how the parent, often the father, is held up as the model of the source of all direction and authority. This has been true for many, many centuries, but it really came to a head in the United States. I think it came to a head in the 50s because it began to crumble in the 60s. Exactly. Well, that's why the 60s were the 60s, I think. (laughs) But when you think about the authoritarian stance, you're right. It's been around for centuries. And what we see in that is that there really isn't a partnership with a child. There really isn't trust in the child's ability to make choices and to become independent in facing different challenges. And I think that that's what people were reacting to in the 60s. Like children are people and they have lots of thoughts and and the full range of emotions and with some guidance have the complete ability to make good choices as they move through life's challenges. And I think that the authoritarian stance did not allow for any of that. So a nice illustration of this authoritarian method, we can sort of highlight using toilet training or toilet mastery to compare these these, uh, stances. The approach to toilet training in the authoritarian stance was to say to a child, 
you must pee and you must poop into the toilet at a certain age. And if you didn't, then you would face a punishment. For instance, spanking was something very common. It got to the point where children would be punished at 18 months of age if they didn't poop precisely on time, let's say at 5 p.m. every day. It was very intrusive because, again, if the parent is the only authority and there isn't any mutual back and forth conversation, so to speak, between the child and the parent, the parent could make these rules, even if they made no sense developmentally for a child. You know, I do a lot of research on old child practices, and I didn't have to go that far back. 80 years ago, 100 years ago, that's still fairly modern. Parents were advised by pediatricians to make a little stick out of a like a bar of soap and stick it into their child's rectum at a certain time every day, put them on the potty. And that way the child, and this was at a very young age, 10, 12, 13 months, so that they would have a bowel movement in that exact precise time every single day. There's just absolutely no respect for the child's body, for the child's integrity. And our listeners may say, okay, why are we even talking about this? But there was a purpose to this. The great fear of the authoritarian stance was that the parent's authority would be ignored or weakened or become ineffective. And I think we all sometimes worry about whether our authority works with our kids. But the great fear was that unless the authority was strong enough, the child would be left rudderless in a dangerous world. A lot of people felt like it was their moral obligation to be the only authority in the household. And they actually did feel that their child would grow up rudderless, amoral, not the kind of person that they hoped that that they would become. What I found intriguing is that parents who are struggling with their child's behavior, they're using spanking or they're using some sort of other harsh punishment. And they will say to me, in one breath, well, I was smacked when I did something bad mm. with quotes around that, and it didn't hurt me. But while I'm talking to this parent, I can feel how much it did hurt them, that they were hurt by being smacked by their parent, by not being understood, by the adult in their life, the most important adult in their life, not having any respect for their body and their feelings. A lot of people listening may say, well... Maybe that settled the conflict. You know, maybe that was too harsh, but at least they addressed the conflict their child was presenting. But there's an irony here, and that is that the authoritarian approach ignores the conflict, actually. The child's perspective is dismissed. It's a one-way, it's not really a conversation, it's just a way imposition. No give and take, no interest in the child's mind, and there's no real learning beyond avoiding pain and punishment. So the result is not resolution of the conflict, but rather the conflict just lingers. And we see in parents of children who've been subjected to this way of being raised, and even today where authoritarian parenting still lingers, that long persisting difficulties have consequences, even if it looks like the immediate issue is settled. Well, the immediate issue is probably is settled. But the long-term effects, I think, are something that we should not ignore. And I'm glad that we're bringing that up in this podcast. When we move from authoritarian to the more permissive kind of parenting stance, I'm going to give this to you, Arthur, because you have firsthand knowledge of how this kind of huge paradigm shift happened in the 60s. Remember we said there were social influences before Facebook? Well, this story has to do with Red Book. I don't know if people still read it, but it's a magazine it used to be very popular. And um, I worked with this fellow by the name of uh, Barry Brazelton, who a lot of our listeners may not recognize his name, but he was the Dr. Spock of his generation and uh, was my mentor. I may not know who Dr. Spock is. <laughs> oh, I, oh, my goodness. 
Well, I, don't, I don't know if there's an America's pediatrician anymore, but there used to be like these sources of uh, trust, sort of like Walter Cronkite, if people remember him even. But uh, Dr. Brazelton had a practice in his home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he saw these kids getting soap sticks stuck in them and being spanked at 5 p.m. if they didn't poop and parent panic over their child not being fully continent for poop and pee by age 18 months. And he asked a simple question. He asked the question, what would happen if we took 600 toddlers, next 600 people I see who turn 18 months, and just advise the parents to do nothing? And let's see if the kids can figure out all on their own. And lo and behold, they all trained on their own and they all trained by 18 months of age. They performed as well as the kids were being punished and pushed into this. And so that was the birth. This is in 1968. This was published in the uh, pediatric literature, but it was picked up by Red Book, as I mentioned. And I'm telling you, within a year, the United States as a country changed the way that children are toilet trained. And that model of approaching parenting has persisted as a dominant model, the permissive stance we're calling it, ever since. But it is a, it's a very bold example of how changes in social thinking influence everyone who's part of that society. Now, the core of the nurturing stance is the perspective that if a parent learns how their child develops... And the parent commits to being a devoted and loving parent, intently attentive to the mind of their child, powered by love and a new understanding where the child is in their ability to think and feel, that therefore the child will enter into a pact with the loving parent. And in that pact, any troubles the child has will be solved by that caring agreement with the parent to let the child find their way. There is something that you have to, there's always a negative side or two sides to every issue. And when I think of the permissive stance, I think of the parents who take that pendulum and swing it out a little bit too far. And that is if I love my child, but I allow them to find their way, I should not be setting boundaries because that's my idea. You know, it's my adult idea and I will just let the child have free reign. That can actually have a lot of difficulties. And it's difficult to find that middle ground where you are in a loving, committed relationship with your child. You recognize their developmental stage. You know that they have really intense feelings that are important for you as a parent to recognize and to respond to. But there's also that issue of setting boundaries that help that child make a choice that's going to actually move them along as opposed to keeping them stuck in a place where they're just making the same choice over and over again, and they're not actually moving forward. So this deal sounds very appealing, and, and it appeals to us too. You know, Susan, you and I have talked about it. This is a really, really major step forward, we believe, away from the punishing, imposition, sort of tyrannical view of the authoritarian stance. The permissive stance introduces a sense of partnership, but it's sort of one way also in that now it's all one way from the child. But the nice thing is the parent is paying attention to the child now is respecting the child's developmental reality. And uh, we like the idea of a mutual respect being the basis for working things out. Absolutely. But the missing piece in this permissive stance is guidance from the parent. Why is it missing? Because the fear of the nurturing stance is that someone or something will come and hurt your child. And that hurt will have an impact across time. So the greatest fear of the uh, permissive stance is that that hurt will come from you, the parent. In a previous podcast, we talked a great deal about the difference between trauma and disappointment. 
and a parent who is completely committed to a permissive stance where they're not setting boundaries, they get quite confused over the difference between a child being disappointed or frustrated and truly traumatized. Because most of the things that these parents would be asking their child to do, like get in their car seat, the child may be frustrated, they may be fighting it, they may not want to do it. But you know that that is something that's necessary for the child and that child is not traumatized by a parent setting the boundaries and saying, this is what we need to do now. Yeah. So that leads to this irony. And I think it's more subtle than in the authoritarian stance. I'm hoping most of our listeners would have bristled at some of the aspects of the uh, tyrannical approach. But there's still this irony in the nurturing stance. And it's um, it leaves the child with little chance to work out the struggles they feel, such a need to create. Most of the conflicts we talk about in young childhood, toilet mastery, fighting over food, refusing to sleep in their bed overnight, sibling rivalry, discipline, resisting rules, are struggles the child wants to engage as conflict. They want to have a conflict with the parent. So in the permissive stance, if we you know, think about Brazelton's approach to toilet training, it was don't offer any guidance, don't set any limits, let the child do what they want, they'll figure out the right path. Well, if, if a child's looking for conflict and wants to learn how to resolve a conflict and the parent won't engage in that and come back with their offering, their wisdom, then the conflict continues. You may think that love conquers all, but ironically, a conflict that's not engaged by a young child who needs the conflict to be engaged, lingers. You're so right, because the whole idea of allowing a child to present a conflict is for the parent to be able to teach them how to deal with this frustration and disappointment that comes with these inevitable conflicts. And what a gift that is for their future life. When they get older and the parent isn't around, you know, hovering in the background, this child is going to encounter multiple conflicts in school, in their relationships, in work. And if they don't have any experience in how to deal with them and how to resolve them, they're going to be a little bit at a loss, I would say, or maybe a great deal at a loss. And I think you found in uh, some of the research you've explored that there are perhaps not dramatic, but important differences between the permissive and the next stance that we're going to be talking about. So there are some costs to the permissive stance. So why don't we move on to the authoritative stance? We should think of a better name for that because it sounds too much like authoritarian. (laughs) Yeah, so authoritative does sound authoritarian, but it's trying to say that authority has some role to play in a nurturing approach to parenting, which if it's all nurturing would be permissive stance. This is sort of permissive nurturing with some authority is what we're trying to say. And we're very pleased to say this is the current dominant parenting stance in America. It didn't emerge from the permissive stance as suddenly as the nurturing stance appeared from the authoritarian one. There's no single landmark study like Basilton's that shifted everyone's thinking immediately. But we would say somewhere in the years 2010 to the present, a transition has unfolded. Some of our listeners may be familiar with this transition with the phrase positive parenting or gentle parenting. But we would say the heart of this current stance of parenting is that the conflicts that children create are something they need to do. They're not a problem. They are normal. Most importantly, they fill a real need of the child. So parents in this stance recognize the conflict that the child presents is the child's chance, as you said so well, Susan, to try out their new power, to test it out, see how it works. And very importantly, 
find out how it might fail and figure out how to deal with a situation that does not go their way. The authoritative or positive parenting stance says we anticipate, respect, and welcome these conflicts. And in in response, that is, we as parents will set up some guidelines and within those limits or guidelines, let our children find their way. So this is a stance that offers room for both sides now. This is the first stance we've talked about where the child has a respected role because we respect the fact that they need to explore the world through conflict. And the parent has respected role because they offer boundaries, guidance, and some wisdom that allows them to engage in the conflict in a way that then sets up walls within which the child can resolve the conflict. This is the first stance where we see that these conflicts do actually get settled. As you're talking, Arthur, I'm thinking of a very specific story that we can share with our listeners that might give you an example of what an authoritarian stance might be when there's a challenge. It reminded me of a family that I worked with. They had a a little boy who was over four years of age who was absolutely obsessed with drinking milk all day long. And he would drink, I don't know, like something like a half a gallon of milk a day. And consequently, he wasn't eating much food and he was becoming anemic. And the mother was at her wit's end because she was more in the permissive stance where she couldn't say no to her child when he was begging and screaming for milk. So together, we came up with a plan that really ended up working amazingly well. We decided how much milk he was able to drink in a day. And I know, Arthur, having spoken to you about this many times, that how much milk does a four-year-old need in a day? Zero. Isn't that what you told me? You'd be surprised to know no one needs dairy. Okay, we don't need any milk, but this child liked his milk. So I think the mother came up with something relatively minor, like eight to 10 ounces of milk. And what I suggested is that in the morning, take a container that he can pour from, like a small plastic container, put in your 10 ounces of milk every single morning and tell him, this is your milk. You can drink it all now. You can drink it when you come home from school. You can drink it before bedtime. I don't care. Your choice. You make those choices. But when the milk is empty, when this jar is empty, no more milk until the next morning. She wasn't sure that that would work. She was very anxious about it. But this literally worked like a magic bullet. This child was anxious for their parent to put a boundary on this behavior of his. It was a constant fight, a daily fight with him. It disappeared overnight because the parent said, I'm putting a boundary, but I'm giving you within this boundary choices that you can make. That was all the difference. Do you think that helps give an idea of what an authoritarian stance might be like for a challenge? Absolutely. And I think you found some findings actually from research on how kids turn out at least a couple of these uh, stances. Absolutely. And this is, I thought was fascinating. This was done like 30 years later. So these children now were adults. And who do you think were the happiest adults, the ones who had fulfilled their promise, you might say educationally or vocationally or with relationships? I think you would know what the answer is going to be, right? Well, I would guess most people would think the happiest kids are the kids who are raised in a permissive household, uh, meaning that nurturing uh, stance without parental authority. Absolutely right. Most people will say, well, if they could do whatever they wanted. And here is the wonderful piece of irony. Not the authoritative children, the children from authoritative families had the highest educational levels. They, they reported that they were happier and had more fulfilling relationships. But here's the real twist. 
is that those who came from an authoritarian household rated themselves as happier than those who were raised in a permissive household. I found that fascinating. Just giving your child whatever you think that they want is not really the way to go. Children will push and push looking for that conflict that you talked about before, Arthur, until the parent is able to say, here are the boundaries. And as long as the boundaries are reasonable and there's choice making for the child within those boundaries, I think you got a good plan there. Those findings really suggest we all grow up happier with some guidance, even if it's oppressive rather than no guidance. But we want to be very clear that the results show that the best outcomes are from those where there's that balance, where really the balance is tipped towards the child. The child's view is respected. In the authoritarian approach, there's no tyranny. We're just adding a little seasoning of parental guidance and not really violating the sense of the uh, nurturing that comes with the permissive stance. The one thing I think all parents need to realize is that they're not going to follow one exact one path. Sometimes they're going to veer off that path a little bit. One day you're going to think, I'm just going to be an indulgent, permissive parent. And another day you may be a little bit stricter. The idea is to find your own balance with what makes you comfortable and also keep that communication open with your child. Be a partner with your child in the sense that you're setting the boundaries and allowing them to be part of the decision-making process, letting them be the boss of the things that they are allowed to be the boss of. That's the key takeaway in terms of the the great tip on parenting we have for this podcast. I think we'll summarize this review, which I hope was helpful to our listeners, with a couple points. One is that, surprise, there are social trends that we all are part of, and they shift around. The second is that disappointments are not traumas, so there's room for people to be frustrated as they learn solutions. There are these stances of parenting that we reviewed, authoritarian, the permissive one. We like the authoritative one, which lets parents know what they can do in the setting that respects and allows a child the power to find their solutions within reasonable and thoughtful boundaries that parents help construct for them. So with that, we're going to wish everyone well. We hope that uh, this podcast, like all of our podcasts, help address your concerns about the daily challenges of parenting. And we look forward to joining with you in a conversation in our next podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.